Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to Girl on Fire podcast on the Believe Network, New York's number one podcast network for personal growth. This is your host, Kirsten Franklin, and on this week's show, we're going to talk about leadership. And we have with us Dr. Quinn Gentry, who has over 30 years of leadership experience in government and corporate and civic nonprofit, all types of organizations. Uh, her prior leadership and um, officer positions uh, from her past include technical leadership and program director for multiple sponsored research projects and president of the Black Affairs Programs for the Central Intelligence Agency, where she also served as a political intelligence officer. Uh, She currently chairs leadership development for the National Coalition of 100 Black Women, Inc. And of course, she is well-versed in executive leadership, and she acts as an executive leadership coach, uh, where she conducts tons of workshops. Um, I know she does a lot of uh, speaking as well uh, and writing. So, Dr. Quinn, welcome. Well, hello. This conversation is long overdue. We have been on each other's radar screen for some time, so I'm super excited to have this opportunity to engage with you. And what a time to be talking about leadership and management, right? Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, I mean, like, let's just dig in, right? I mean, right now, uh, for those who are listening and we never know when they're going to listen. So we're talking right now in the time of COVID-19 here in the United States and around the globe. But really what we're talking about is really going to be applicable for all leaders kind of at any time. Uh, we, as leaders, we always face some type of crisis, whether it's just locally within our organization or nationally, globally. Um, but this is a great time to speak about this. And I'd love to get your take on what leadership should be doing right now? Where should their focus be? And what what's the messaging? Like what what really should they be focused on? We know that this is just a long dark tunnel. There's a light at the end of it. We just don't know when it's going to come. So what can we do to make sure that when we come out the other side, our brand is awesome, our people are awesome, we're thriving, we're not just sort of throwing out the lifeboats and surviving, you know? Uh, what can we be doing? What Um, The first thing is what we should not be doing. And what we should not be doing is panicking, right? What we should be doing is working through um, this situation in terms of what leadership or management style is called for each of the the situations that I'm handling. So, for example, um, there is a way to bring a message forward um, to a broader group of people. And then there are sub-segments of that population that need to have um, certain messages um, messages drilled down to a particular level. No different than, like you said, running a, um, a major corporation, running the United States, or running your household, right? Um, or running a small business. Absolutely. The point is, is that we have to know what particular situation calls for us to be a crisis manager, a, a crisis leader or a manager, or a contentious leader, meaning to just sit back and think 
allow things to happen. You don't have to have your hand, watch the data, you know, get some data points, get some patterns and trends. And that puts you in the best position to make a good, a great position. And we have not seen a better example of um, a person, you know, trying to push the data or the patterns or the trends or the epidemiological perspectives um, in a skewed way than we see it right now. And so, you know, what we really have to do is bring together what I call a, the, the best thinkers, the best team um, for this particular time. And that means that you need someone who understands um, what it means to be that crisis leader. You also need a charismatic leader mm -hmm. at the table um, because you don't, when, yes. even when you have to deliver bad news, there's a way to package that news that makes people say, you know what? Just like um, when the when the plane was going down in the Hudson, right? Uh, you know, mm -hmm. we are getting mm -hmm. ready to go down, but guess what? We're going down, and everybody is going to survive. That's what you want to hear, right? You want to hear a crisis leader telling you the real, the truth, but saying it in such a way that you feel comfortable following this leader's um, this leader's directions um, by any means necessary, you know that that particular person has the expertise and they have the moral fortitude, um, to make a particular decision that is best for everyone, or at least most of the people involved. So, um, and yes. you definitely want a conscious leader, someone who is saying we cannot act, overreact to everything that is happening. You know, some of this is right. writing some wrongs. And that takes that sort of bold, conscientious mind um, to uh, really put us in the presence of what making meaning of, of, of a particular crisis, making meaning of it. So. I, I talk about that as well, talking about responding versus reacting. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 That's super important. I love it. So talk to me a little bit about maybe. Um, you know, you mentioned obviously conscientious leader. I think that's easily digestible for for people in leadership to understand. Um, talk to me about some of the ways that if you have an organization that's been around for a while. Okay, let's say you're an old law firm. You know, you've been on this planet for like a hundred years, and you've been through these things in the past. And let's just say you're like an employee or an associate at that firm, or even a non-equity partner, and not really involved in the decision making process. I mean. If your firm or your company has prior to you been known to have a certain leadership style where maybe it's not that conscientious, it's not charismatic, it's not well thought out, um, how do you kind of suggest that they step to the table to overcome, if they even need to, maybe they just come as themselves, right? And that's good enough. Um, uh, maybe a negative bias that our company doesn't care about us. We're going to have to survive for ourselves. How can you turn? And it's not easy, obviously, because it's cultural, right? It's within the firm culture or the company culture. But how can we in this moment address that in a way that might change that? I mean, this could be a grand opportunity to fix your company culture as well. You know? Absolutely. But again, you have to have the um, uh, a degree of flexibility, transparency, and a spirit of wanting um, to uh, be the champion of a culture shift. Um, so the mm -hmm. first thing you have to ask is, okay, if this is, if this culture, um, has been this way for a hundred years, is I think the, the time frame you gave, if it's been this way all this time, the, the question I ask, um, 
as a sociologist first is who benefits from this? Who has benefited from this culture being this way this long? Someone is making great right? Someone is making money um, yeah. from from that culture, from that system being the way that it is, and someone is, has a level of power um, and prestige. Someone benefits. And so that's where you have to pinpoint, like, who are the real benefactors of this system staying this way and watching um, people come and go um, without making any real changes to the system because um, it has not uh, uh, dismantled or it has not um, um, bothered the people who benefit the most. So. Right. Uh, so that's when you have to have what I call this sort of personal leadership. And you have to say, OK, um, am I willing to challenge this system? Am I willing to challenge this system? And am I willing to challenge this system from the inside or do I need to step outside of this system and challenge it? And some, mm. of, some and so some of that is sort of, you know, it's legal. And now we have other tools in terms of social media where you can become a champion for the system if you're willing to step outside of it and um, and and make some bold statements. I mean, that is why we have a Me Too movement today, because some people stepped right. outside of the system and said, this system is broken. It's been broken for a long time, but a lot of people benefit from it. And even those who are victimized um, reconcile that they too benefit in ways that would make it safe for them to be quiet as opposed to speak up against the system that um, that they have calculated some personal benefits from. And perhaps even some survivor's guilt yeah. as well that, you know, oh, okay, so now I've achieved some measure of success and I have, do I have a right to turn a lens on a system that I benefited from? So you go through all of these right. kinds of thoughts during that process. But I think the main thing is um, to really look at what I call the landscape of the organization. And what I mean by that is how, how does this organization get things done? What is the work environment? What is the operating environment? What is business as usual? And then you have to determine, do my leadership and management styles you know, match up in such a way that I can be effective in this system. And so what happens in in the kinds of systems that you, I mean, in the kinds of organizations that you're talking about is they burn out or root out people who do not uh, adhere to the culture and the work environment and the business as usual. So that's why we have right. rapid turnover. What we right. have to do is we have to make that turnover, that rapid turnover, or those dysfunctions costly for the people who have been benefiting. And we know the cost. I mean, we know the cost of recruiting. We know the cost of training and losing. Well, right? but that's, see, that's those are what I call corporate costs. When that cost becomes mm -hmm. personal, when your own livelihood right. is put on the line, right? Because you can distance yourself from the quote unquote corporate cost. But when that cost becomes personal, when that cost, um, becomes perhaps even a legal matter that you have to answer. Um, then it gets the attention of the leaders who say, maybe it's time to change the culture from the inside out because it's personal now. And I don't like being this vulnerable 
you know, or yeah. they could have the conscience pricked in such a way to say, um, it's a new day, a new time, and, and maybe I need to look at um, old problems in a new way. Right, right. And it's interesting. I've seen a lot of people, a lot of um, um, men in particular, who um, are in their 60s and 70s. They run corporations. They run law firms. They run, you know, thriving um, practices, um, uh, service uh, practices, whether it's doctor, dentist. And they say, I, I had a male view until I had a daughter. Right. And so we just. It's, oh yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and when they get introduced, and we just got introduced to this term uh, uh, through um, Kobe and his daughter, uh, rest his soul and rest her soul, um, girl dad. When they become a girl mm-hmm. dad, and they say, you know, mm-hmm. I, it, it's like you you can see some changes. Like, oh wow, I I have to make this system safe or safer for my daughter to be able to reach my level of success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so That's when it becomes personal, yeah. there, there's, there's movement to change. Um, you know, the other thing you talk about, um, we were talking about leadership in crisis just, uh, this morning I, um, saw on the news where, um, the, a Navy admiral, admiral, um, actually leaked a letter because he had sent it up through the chain of commands, trying to work within the broken system, right. That he was dealt. Mm-hmm. He's 30 years into mm-hmm. his career. He is on um, uh, on, uh, he was on, um, tap to become an a- admiral, I think, um, with the highest ranking, you know, naval officer, but, um, right. But the point is, is that he sacrificed his career and said, not on my watch. And jail time. Hmm? I said, and jail time. He's about to become a 98 break rock, right? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, he sacrificed. Pretty serious to do. He sacrificed mm-hmm. his, his, his whole career and. Um, to say we are not at war where we should be losing 120 lives to um, COVID-19 on this vessel. Mm-hmm. And so he mm-hmm. leaked it to the press, a letter that had gone up the chain of command to, to to get the attention of people who would make this a moral issue at this point and not a political one. Right. Right. So right. now those those men are safe, but his career is dead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on here. Um, talk to me a little bit about what you think the focus should be for leadership. I know, I know that you're talking about, you know, coming out, uh, behaving in a certain way, um, and approaching it in a certain way, but for any leader, right? Leader of the home, leader of a business, leader of whatever, um, in this moment. And I understand that this mo- this focus will shift as we come out of it. And as we go back to quote the new normal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in this moment, in crisis moment, what do you think the major focuses should be? You know, what should be the major points for when we talk to our employees, when we talk to our co-leaders, when we talk to our families, right? What should be some of the points of focus? Um, the first one is survive it, thrive it, right? Is, yeah. is leading with a sense of humanity, and mm. by that I mean our first order of business should be emotional intelligence and allowing ourselves to be transparent and um, vulnerable. And I love your governor, by the way, I love your governor. Transparent (laughs) and vulnerable are themes, you know, that, that he's leading with Um, the personal, making the personal um, a part of his, his uh, public persona. And so I think that because we have to regain the trust, 
of the people who um, had followed us during quote unquote peace times or non-crisis times. And now, you right. know, they say, you know, crisis reveals who you really are. It amplifies who you really are. And if you are oh, a yeah. good person, a crisis makes you better, right? If you are already a bad person, a crisis reveals even the worst of you. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't stop in that moment and have a change of persona, a change, and that is possible to do. I believe as a as a change agent, I do believe that that people can stop and say, let me shake this off. What am I doing? This is not me. This is not who I want to be. And at this moment, right. I can make a positive change and move in a different direction. So once you get the emotional intelligence uh, piece, and it has to be authentic, can't sound textbookish like you're reading off a paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Text We've seen people. that. <laughs> Are you fine? Good. Did you handle this? Good. But then you have to you have to really, really be concerned in in a very um, authentic way about the things that matter to other people. You know, for some, the educational crisis is not a big deal because they don't have children in their houses who are missing prom, missing their their you know their um, yeah uh, um, their um, uh, peers. Um, but for others. Um, it won't be the financial crisis because they were already financially um, set. So you have to lean in and listen attentively to what it is that person needs to share about how they were personally affected by the crisis that you were charged with leading them through. Then the next order of business is rebuilding, looking at, uh, well, taking an assessment first of all the broken systems, right? Like this health crisis Mm -hmm. broke our financial system. It broke our educational system. It broke our family system. It broke our social networks. So you have to look at all the systems that need to be repaired. Then you have to prioritize, you know, which systems are my priorities? Which systems have to be put back together first? Uh, It broke our religious system, right? People who Mm -hmm. um, got uh, uh, some some sense of normalcy or joy or, or... um, yeah. Um, uh, spiritual and mental and emotional support through um, religiosity, um, whatever your religion is, it has been upset if um, if you had come to a space where you needed to go or were a part of organized religion. So, um, and definitely family family ties um, have been um, um, set in such a set on fire in some in some well, ways. Yeah. And I think that actually, you know, this, this, it couldn't, this sounds odd and I'm not saying it's a positive thing, but it couldn't happen during a better time on the face of the planet due to technology. You know, my daughter and I last Sunday got on zoom conference with my father and his wife. So my daughter was with her grandparents, essentially playing a board game. It wasn't a board game. It was like a, you know, and we, we had two phones. So we took our phones and we set them on the table so you could watch the board, so to speak, right? It was like a tile game. Mm -hmm. And then we had cameras facing ourselves so we could see their version of the board. They could see our version of the board and we could see each other communicate. Right. And so, I mean, that wouldn't have happened five years ago. I'll be honest, right? Like the technology and the wherewithal and how to use this technology and implement it just wouldn't have been there just five years ago. Okay, but see, here's 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 where the innovative, so here's where the thought leadership comes in and the innovation. That if if this had happened five years ago, then there would have been a rush to market with those tools to help us to solve yeah. that. 
just like right now, yeah. there is a rush to market for tools to treat this particular virus, then that yep. whatever that model looks like, we're going to say, well, how come we can't do the same thing for cancer? How come we can't do the same yep. thing for diabetes? How come we can't do the same thing for HIV? How come we can't do the same thing for flu? And so now we are on this uh, trajectory to use technology and science to solve um, health problems in ways that we never would have even thought about had we not had this crisis. So um, yeah. I think that this crisis um, five years ago would have ushered in information system, technology, and data. People would have been at the forefront, um, just like um, the doctors and the scientists are in this one. Right, right. Absolutely. You know, you were talking about something just a minute ago, talking about, you know, when you ask uh, yourself the question of what is your organization getting out of it? Like who's winning? Like, right. Like right. when you're talking about potentially changing. Well, it's funny because I apply that same technique to people who are trying to change. So if there's a leader out there who for some reason feels as though they can't change, right. That they have this certain way, even though they don't consciously want it. Right. Um, I always go through the same series of questions. I, I'm like, okay, what does it feel like? you know, how does that feel? And then I, I always ask, well, you just ask yourself, do you think it's even possible that, that you can let it go, that you can change it? Right. Cause it's the first, there has to be the possibility. And if you are not thinking it is even possible to change, then there's a reason for that. You think it's not possible for a reason you're holding on to it for a reason. It's giving you something. Maybe it's become part of your identity and you want to keep that. You know, because maybe in the beginning, you know, to be the hardline, crazy, overdramatic person won for you, and that became part of your identity, and to lose that part of you means something to you. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I always go through that that same series of questions, and it was interesting. I never actually thought to put it to an organization and say, well, why are you keeping it, right? Like, what's it doing for you? Isn't that funny? Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, that's so interesting. I do that with people, but not companies. So that was pretty interesting for me. I love that. Right. Um, talk to me about... Yeah. Talk to me about, um, you know, are there go-to sources or anything that you would suggest for leadership management? I mean, this goes, you know, this also goes, I know those conversations on leadership, but this also goes towards the employees, the people. Um, you know, if you really feel like you have built a tribe within your company and your organization, or even just your household, right, mm -hmm. you will come together and you will work together to make it happen. You know, my daughter and I have our own routine so that I can get my work done. She can get her work done. And we're, we're golden. Like it's so far three mm -hmm. weeks in we're, mm -hmm. we're awesome. Right. So it's great. Um, my companies, you know, the people that work with me, um, you know, we also come together as a team. In fact, someone had just, I me like they, they, question whether I actually looked at the thing <laughs> that they sent me. And I was like, Oh, I did. Thank you for asking. That's awesome. You know, I was like, I was like, cause we all know like right now I might not be paying such close attention to right. things. And he was awesome. He was like, Hey man, it doesn't matter what, how we talk to each other, as long as it gets done. Right. And I was like, yes, teamwork makes a dream work. Right. And it was great. And I love to have people like that, but that's built in you know me well enough. That's built in because of my behavioral type. I really do believe that. I really do believe in you know, transparency, but even with that transparency, even with the emotional intelligence, you know, there is a fine line for leadership between, oh, damn, I swear. God damn it again. Here I go. <laughs> I swear I was trying to like, not, I was like between looking weak and going too much into it versus also like you were mentioning, you have to be the leader that they want to follow. 
right? If you're too emotional, like, oh my God, it's a shit show. We're all going to die. No, you can't lead that way, right? There's a fine line between being empathetic and really kind of being strong as well, being confident, having that knowledge and knowing and allowing people to feel comfortable in your knowing that you're going to get through it and it's going to look possibly like this or possibly like this, right? Um, So can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, how to kind of draw that line maybe because sometimes it's not as obvious for some people because they're so busy hardlining it and now they want to try and be a little bit more effective and we don't want them to flop to the other side not knowing what they're doing right i mean can you talk to us a little bit about that so um i i would say that leaders um do need this space and the, um um a safe place to have that breakdown moment if you will or that overly emotional um, moment, it just cannot be in front of the people that you're leading. So you have right. to be very, very intentional about being a part of networks where everyone inside of that network has something to lose <laughs> if they just, you know, dispose of the, um, of the, the, the kinds of things that you talk about in that, in that close circle. Right. And so I think, um, uh, some of them call them the good old boy networks or whatever, but um, we too, as, as women, we can have our own um, safe places to say, I am not okay. I am not, this yeah. is not good. This does not feel good. I'm about to have to fire some people and and they don't deserve mm. it. And, and families will be, you know, I don't like the fact that there are lives on the other side of the decisions that I am being forced to have to make. And that has to be a safe place to say that um, outside of your organization. So, um, right. so you just have to be uh, astute enough to know and savvy enough to know the time and the place. Um, now, that's not to be confused with emotional intelligence. And that's why I think it looks like an oxymoron. Like, how is emotions ever intelligent? It just is. Emotional intelligence is really for the other person. <laughs> It's giving them the space to have a breakdown and you mm-hmm. taking whatever they say and turning it into something intelligent to give them back. So yeah. they, yeah. right. So, so you ask the questions that will allow them or give them permission to be um, authentically emotional in that space and tell the truth about what they're feeling. But as a leader, you're supposed to turn that round around and put an intelligent, normal normalcy spin on it but i want to say something i want to go back to what you were saying um we were talking about uh why don't people change and and you can take folks and say you know well you know you need to change what is it that's stopping you i use a formula that i call getting to the heart of the matter when i see that people are just stuck and 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 these are high performers sometimes they get stuck on a particular decision or stuck in a particular position. And I say, let's, let's, yeah. let's go through the heart of, let's get through the heart of this matter. What is the heart of the matter? And heart is really an acronym where I take them through five um, lines of questioning where the H stands for history. You know, have you been traumatized by something like this in the past? Right. What is your history with mm-hmm. this particular, is it triggering something for you that you're saying, I, I I am afraid to make this decision or move in that way because I don't want to feel 
X, Y, and Z again. I don't ever want to be put in that position again. So I go back through the history of why this decision may be feeling like one that you felt when you were out of control. And guess what, Kirsten? This typically takes people back to childhood. Oh, yeah. Right? When something... Say that one again. You have to say that again, because here's the thing. Your subconscious mind is formed between zero and eight. And then after that, it's usually a very specific event. Like, oh my God, I was talking to someone who had a fear and she thought she had anxiety. And some psychiatrist was trying to lead her down the line of maybe she had some kind of child abuse thing. No, you know what? Around nine years old, she was trying to climb this rope climb thing at a camp and she feared for her life. So she climbed down. And ever since then, she had a fear of heights. She would get anxiety. She'd almost pass out. She got hot, sweaty, and almost passed out. And that was it. It was it was that moment, right? And it always comes back to when you're young. I'm telling mm-hmm. you, that's awesome. So say it again, girl. <laughs> it, you go back through the history and don't be afraid to examine those childhood issues where you are the most vulnerable because some adult was supposed to be making better decisions about your life in on so many levels, right? Um, and so uh, we just got introduced to this this term called bullying. When I was growing up, it was called peer correction. So I go back. And- oh, okay. <laughs> right. So, um, so I go back and look and I go, my goodness, I am a victim of bullying in some, in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I was afraid of certain things or to, to take certain risks because I didn't want people to talk about me. You know, she's so ambitious. He's over right. the top and that is, all these things. And so I am so over that. And I had to call, give it a name and I call it my unapologetic self. I am so unapologetic. Good, I love ambitious. It. You know, so. Um, and, and yeah, so my unapologetic, I am unapologetically ambitious and, 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 and I make no, I make no apologies for being that way. And I used to try to squash that, um, yes. because I didn't want, uh, be talked about as, uh, trying mm-hmm. to outdo everybody, trying to overly, like you're better than us. Like you're, you're no better, better than, than us. us. No Who are you? Right. That's right. You all think that, this. Yep. Mm-hmm. So all of that negative. I think that's a woman thing too. I mean, uh, maybe, maybe not, but you know, it is, uh, in it my experience working overlay. with, I, 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 yes, I absolutely think so. Woman thing, but I will say it has a gender <laughs> overlay, but that, because there are some people <laughs> who are not as confident as they would want you to think. And when you get, yes. you peel back their masculine layers, they sit right with us on this grid of, mm-hmm. I'm afraid to make these decisions because of some things that happened in childhood, maybe different decisions, but you can still trace their mm-hmm. back to childhood as well. Mhm. Mhm. Um, so, if you were going to leave us with some top stuff that we should really be focusing on, um, talk to me about that. And actually, before we even get to that, let me just sort of outline. So, between talking in conversations um, with other people and and things, I know that we're talking about. And you tell me what you think of this, but I personally would advise that people first understand what their goal is, right? Understand what their point is. Um, because as leadership has to talk, they have to understand what is the happy end result? What is the outcome they're hoping to get by sending this message in this moment, right? So I always say, understand your point, understand your map, understand your goals. I know that I've personally talked about for organizations, whether it's personal, you know, just your family or, or a company, um, we're talking about your cash flow. We're talking about your messaging. We're talking about your strategy on how you're going to accomplish all these things. Um, and so with all of that, what I'm hearing is let's map it out. Let's get the goal. Let's map it out. And then talking about how leadership can kind of um, 
bring that map to fruition in their messaging and in their conversations with their people, what would you leave us with, with respect to all of it? You know, with, I, if my goal is to come out of the end of this tunnel with a top brand, clients who love me because I've taken care of them at the level that I want to, and a company that really feels like a tribe that thrived together and grew, what, w- what are my messages? How am I reaching out to these people? What would you be saying? All right. So my wrap up is really my core message. I don't know if you set this up for me, but thank you, Kirsten. But because it is is focused on the things that matter the most, what really matters and matters. Again, I love acronyms, right? Because I can't sing. I can't do all that. And um, so I sort of put my messages, all these sort of complex scientific leadership theory messages. I try to put them in an acronym that people can understand. And so matters. when you talk about balancing what, you know, leadership and management, you have to focus on what matters and bringing us back to a sense of normalcy and what matters the most. What matters the most is and you hit it when you said, what's the goal? Well, what's the mission? You know, the mission. Um, yeah. And so when you get when you go back to we were we, our mission um, got slightly off center during this time. So what is the work that needs to be done to put us back on a course to achieve our overall mission? And then at aptitude and attitude, we have to, you know, we have to look attitude check this to some people, you know, just straight back crazy. So we got to get those attitudes <laughs> back in check. Right. And then transformational the, the, in matters, transformational versus transactional. And by transformational, in, which, what, in what ways have we changed and we are not going back to the other way? And I think the biggest mm-hmm. aha moment is guess what, people? We can all we can actually get some things done working from home. It is not this stigmatized way that women want to work because they want to do you know um, do other things. We actually are working from home, so I think that's a great transformational moment. Um, and then, yeah. like, and you put it, um, you said it when you talked about teaming approaches. The way in which we team together has changed as well. So that's the other T. And then empowerment. We actually empower people to make the best decisions for them and their families during this time. You know, what, what do you need to do? How do you need to work? Um, and, and because there was this moratorium on being in the street, then all the empowerment happened in a very personal level, on a very personal level in people's homes and spaces where they felt empowered to make decisions that did not result in punitive damages, right? Right. Um, and right. then the R is relationships. Check on relationships that matter. And this is also a time to shed some. There are some people that didn't check <laughs> on me. I didn't check on them. And this is a way to say in my thuggish voice, deuces. <laughs> At the same time, <laughs> there was some relationships that were really um, solidified as, I really like this person. This person is good for me. You know, my best mm-hmm. friend, we've been best friends since we were nine and 10 years old. We met at the Boys and Girls Club in Atlanta. When I tell you, we send each other songs, we call, we talk, we reminisce. You know, this has been such a great time for us to reflect on um, a 40-year relationship and friendship. Now, she's got other friends. She cheats on me. I cheat on her. But at the end <laughs> of the day, we are besties. And this moment right here, this crisis solidified and confirmed that um, come what will or may, Tyrunda, Mentor, and I are, you know, we are we are the Thelma and Louise that everybody wants to be. We are the, the original ride or die. 
Um, and then the final <laughs> S um, in matters is self-reflection. Self-reflection. Mm. How did this change you mm-hmm. as a person? You know, how did this time, uh, since you can't go out, go in. <laughs> yes. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> go Quotable quotes right there. <laughs> if you can't go out, go in. And that's the thing. People are afraid of their own thoughts. People are afraid of their own company. Yeah. And I'm an extrovert. And I was teasing my, my daughter last night. I was hanging out in her space. I got her set up in a um a room where I call it the um the the she's in college. She's a junior in college and I call it, you know, my um um the college room. So um I go in and I I check on her, but last night I sort of had this extrovert meltdown, like I am wanting to get out of this house. I've got to get out. But when I tell you that I found out that I'm okay with my inner self, that I kind of like me. (laughs) (laughs) I like me. I like who I am and I like who I'm becoming. And, um, and so, um, it was confirming that there are some things that I still want to work on to become a better version of myself. But at the end of the day, I am very comfortable in the skin that I'm in. Now I do want to get out, but I'm okay with being in. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I know that you're super busy um, and I'm sure you're helping a lot of people put out a lot of fires right now. Um, But thank you. Thank you so much. It was great having you on. I have one last statement that I want to leave um, everyone with Um, all the on-chair critics, um, no matter if we, you know, no matter your political beliefs, no matter what your beliefs are, you know, there's, there's a certain time when we just have to make sense of things by saying, you know what, we cannot be armchair critics of people who are making decisions in that moment. Um, and what I mean by that, and this is my last quote, if you have not led a team through a crisis complete with internal threats mm-hmm. to your integrity and systems and external forces aiming missiles at all mm-hmm. your competitive advantages and resources, then you have not mastered the art of execution. So at the end of the day, what really matters in leadership is how you execute with all of the theories, all the information, all of the experts at your disposal. What are you going to do? Love it. Love it. Thank you so much. I know you have to hop off, but thank you so much. You it's are been quite great. welcome. And thank you for this opportunity. And I look forward to chatting with you in the future. Absolutely. You know we will, girl. All right. <laughs> All right. I have a good and one. Congratulations but... on being a girl on fire. <laughs> that is thank so you, baby. Awesome. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. All right. Thanks, babes. Have a good one. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. So that is it for this week. Thank you for joining me. And I hope that you enjoyed today's show. If so, don't forget to rate it. If you guys have a pressing question, feel free to tweet me at CS Thrive uh, or on Instagram at Thrive Tribe 3.14159. Um, again, I know that's a weird one. It's just pi. So it's three, it's Thrive underscore Tribe underscore 3.14159. Um, or of course, you can join me in Facebook at my free group, which is Thrive Tribe Global. If you just search groups and you enter in Thrive Tribe Global, you should see us there um, and you can join it for free. Uh, I answer your questions in there, but if you guys send me a question through there, I will be sure to answer it here on this podcast. And as always, if you're ever interested in advertising on the show, please contact the Believe Network at Believe, B-L-E-A-V, at believe.com. 
Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.